Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Implementation Science Podcast. Today we have a very special bonus companion episode to go along with our interview with Danny Almiral. If you recall, when we interviewed Danny, he described the earliest steps along his career path. Let's listen to what he said. I think it's kind of cool if I start in um, the the in fourth grade when I learned about prime numbers. <laughs> All right, Miss Na- Miss Nancy Jacobs at Meadow Lane Elementary uh, uh, in Hialeah, Florida, and uh, that's when I was like completely blown away when she dis- when she explained the difference between a prime number and an odd number. I was like, wait a minute, what? And I think shortly thereafter is when I knew I wanted to do math. Uh, I was so into it. Now back to our regularly scheduled broadcast. We are so excited today to be here with a very special guest. I am going to let her go ahead and introduce herself. Well, good afternoon, Mike. My name is Nancy Jacobs, and I'm an elementary school teacher at Medellin Elementary in Hialeah, Florida. And I have been teaching this will begin this school year. Um, will be my 41st year of teaching. And the majority of that time, I've been, I, was, I have been teaching fifth grade. For my first 10 years or so, I taught fourth grade, which is when Danny Amara was in my class. I was a fourth grade teacher a long time ago with him. That was in 1987, 1988. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I... Um, Danny credited you as really starting his love of math and really aiming his trajectory uh, towards math education and then later statistics. And then he kind of fell, fell into this methodologist and, and statistical uh, and statistician role. Um, I'm kind of curious, you did have a chance to listen to the podcast. How did you feel when you heard Danny talking about you in that podcast? Oh my God, it's like my heart, I'm bursting with pride. And it's just, he is the same person in the sense that he was an enthusiastic kid and not hyper in a negative way where he got in trouble or anything like that. No, he was a wonderful, eager, enthusiastic student. And um, I just heard how wonderful, what a wonderful teacher he is today. What a wonderful educator he is because I can hear his enthusiasm, his eagerness. And when I listen to the podcast, I like he would talk about everything that you all were talking about. And then when it came to the teaching part, it was like a spark that lit up. And um, yeah, that was just amazing. I was just so, I am touched. I am so touched, really. Yeah, that's so fantastic. And I, I, we can all hear that spark in Danny. He brings a lot of uh, motivation and, and joy to the work that he does. And I imagine that some of that might also be, um, you know, some of your teaching style may have uh, rubbed off on him a little bit. Do you think that's the case? I'm guessing, yes, because I'm a very enthusiastic teacher I you know go around and I'm singing and whatever and not that I have a a singing voice but whatever I just my goal is always for the students to learn how to learn and to love learning because a lot of the knowledge that we teach when I know you're science in in Florida we do a lot of science in fifth grade it's it's the strong emphasis is on science and math 
And um, there's a lot of information and a lot of that information these kids aren't going to remember. But if they learn how to get the information and the love of getting that information, they're going to be lifelong learners. And that's my goal. Nice to set them up for to set them up for a life of really enjoying learning, enjoying apply, applying their learning to um, to their life on a on a day to day basis for sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, how many te- how many students do you think you've taught in your years of teaching? Oof. Okay, so figure forty <laughs> in my first about twenty something years. We used to have. 36, 37 kids in a class. And then in addition to that, we would do something called cross group. So I would have my homeroom. It wasn't departmentalized, but then we would change classes for reading and for math. So those years I could have 90. So uh, students a year. And then since then about 25 average, I don't know, I have to get my calculator out, but a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot yeah. of students and a lot come back. A lot of them I become close with in the class and then I never hear from them again because life moves on and others of them many years later, all of a sudden I get an email or they find me on Facebook. Oh, Michelle, some. but yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing that you've taught that many students and that you can still remember Danny. So he either must have been um, pretty memorable or you must have a remarkable memory or maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> he was remarkable. He was just and um, he and one of his buddies who was in the class with him and with me in fifth grade and fourth grade. And then they were together in fifth grade. They went to the middle school together. They went to a magnet high school and then they along with another elementary boy from here, went to the University of Florida, which is my alma mater. So I have a feeling that maybe I influenced them uh, that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though he's gone off, he went to Harvard and he did all these other things. He said he did a fellowship at Harvard. So he went way beyond. But I like to think that my go-gators and my gator posters in the classroom <laughs> gave them a direction. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, it's true. I, you know, as kids are exposed to these things, you know, it makes uh, the reality of college possible. And in particular, if we make it really concrete by mentioning certain schools and uh, emphasizing that and that college is, a, is can be a part of everyone's life. This is fantastic. I'm so glad that you're integrating that into your classroom. You're really setting them up for thinking about education and learning in a really positive way. Mm, that's very important. And this is um, what the neighborhood is a blue-collar neighborhood, working class, 100% Hispanic. And like this upcoming year, my entire class, they're going to be English learners. So all of them have been in the country less than a year or anyone who's coming during the school year. And those are the ones I'll be teaching. Oh, wow. Fantastic. They're going to learn English, yeah. I'm so glad there are teachers, teachers like you out there. So as you know, our, pad, our podcast is about implementation science, which we is, is kind of an emerging area, or maybe it's becoming more well-established, but it's a general area of study on how uh, new, innovative, or effective practices are implemented. And this can be implemented in education, you know, healthcare, um, uh, and all sorts of areas. 
So in education, for instance, like maybe somebody creates a new math curriculum, uh, for example, and they study it in a lab, they find that that math curriculum works better to help students learn than some existing math curriculum. And uh, so we study like, how does this get implemented in a way that it still works in the real world? I'm really curious, like as a teacher, uh, and you probably have to implement new things all the time, whether it's curriculum or other practices. So practices. So as a teacher, what is your experience with implementing new approaches and how does your district or your school or the parents, what do they do to support you implementing new and effective practices? Hmm, that's a tough one because you know I'm in Florida and I might be the wrong person to ask that question because a lot of the things that there's a lot of testing. So we have state tests, we have um, testing every month. There's just test, 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 test. And the kids have to be prepared for the test. And many of the skills are skills that, for me, are not necessary. The term for me that everybody uses from Michigan is I'm old school. So I teach, like I said earlier, I teach for them to learn. So yes, obviously I have to teach the things because they have to be prepared for the test which is unfortunate because I've always thought, because there's always been testing, but I've always felt that no matter what I teach, if I'm teaching whatever the test is, they're going to learn. Whereas in today's society, it's teach for the test. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I teach for learning. And so, yeah, so all those practices and all those things, and some of them just, don't work. They're, they might be good in theory, mm-hmm. but in practicality, it's like, really? That doesn't even make sense. So, yeah. Yeah. And since and I, I think- have the seniority, I do what I want, basically. Like, again, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's part of implementation science as well, is knowing that maybe there are some practices that people believe are good ideas and are trying to implement, but in the real world, when they meet the uh, local context, you know, the specific needs of the teachers or the schools or the students, that it just doesn't work, that there are huge barriers there, and um, and maybe it'll never work, right? And that's so maybe something exists that's great in theory, but just not, not, that not great in the real world. Or, um, you know, one of the areas I like to study are unintended consequences, right? So we like to implement uh, standardized tests as a measure of how people are are learning because we want our students to be learning. I'm sure you would agree with that, right? But it has an unintended consequence where teachers are then incentivized to teach to the test, which may not result in that deeper level of understanding that you're talking about. 100%. And and so much has been lost because so much more time is spent toward the testing. So I can say that things like social studies and history and geography, not in my school because my I work with I'm in an excellent school and with a lot of hardworking teachers who go above and beyond. But in general, because so much time has to be spent toward the testing, that a lot of things that we used to teach, like when Danny was in my class, have been sort of been put pushed to the wayside. I mean, we're mm-hmm. supposed to teach it, but there's only so many hours in a day. Mm-hmm. In, in reality, we only have three and a half 
maybe four hours on a good day to actually teach every single thing. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that who aren't in an elementary classroom, the kids come to school for six and a half hours, but they go, they have art, they have PE, they have Spanish, they have lunch, they have all these things, music. And um, yeah, in reality, there's like three and a half hours to teach everything. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we also study is something called de-implementation, which is getting rid of practices, making room for new practices by getting rid of old practices. And ideally, what we would do is we'd be getting rid of old practices that don't work, that are ineffective. But uh, one of the things that I think oftentimes implementation science ignores, because a lot of us implementation scientists are also implementers. So we're wanting to go put something new in the school, or we're wanting mental health therapists to do something new. We forget the fact that de implementation is going to happen whether you like it or not. Like people have to make room on their plate for a new practice that has to come out of somewhere. And unless we do two things, unless we ensure that the new practice is more valuable than some old practice that people are getting, that we're wanting people to get rid of. Um, uh, if, unless we do that, that's then we're not going to be effective. And if we don't help people find ineffective practices to get rid of or to replace with new practices, they're going to find something, like something's going to fall off of the map. And so this happens all the time. And it's also another unintended consequence of any new implementation that people just do not think about very often is that something's going to be left behind. Um, in particular, if people are um, uh, in particular, if part of the implementation isn't helping people determine what should be left behind in a, in a you know, in a positive way that's effective. It's complex matter. So I'm yeah. thinking this I imagine the, the simplistic, uh, the simplistic way for children for that would be how I would use with them trial and error. Mm-hmm. Like what you're saying, what works? good and then you for the for students okay you tried it it didn't work because a lot of kids today they'll try something and then they give up but Mm -hmm. this way so what you're saying is okay you tried it that way and it was it was something that maybe was good for a while but now you're in fifth grade and it doesn't work and we need to do something differently so we'll get rid of that and work on the the new way of doing it I'm so curious. So what, what continues to motivate you? Because, you, you know, as you mentioned, you're, you're teaching in a state where increasingly teachers are not, there's a sense that teachers are not trusted and are not supported by political leadership. What motivates you to keep going? Like I said, so, since it's been so long, I, and I have great administrators who know who Ms. Jacobs is and, and who don't, buy, you know, they know their teachers in, the, in this school. So therefore, anybody can come into my class any day, any time, and they can see what my kids are doing, what my students are, when I say my kids, obviously, I mean my students, um, what they're doing, that they're learning. It's just enjoyable. I had a great year last year, and I say that because uh, there's a program here in Florida where when you're getting toward retirement age, and um, so I just decided... Yeah. And some people say, well, when are you, you know, when are you retiring? I said, listen, if I'm having a good year and I'm enjoying it and I love what I'm doing. So the kids are just, that's what motivates me. It's the kids enthusiasm when you're teaching and you're there and they're, yes, obviously not all the kids are doing that, but when you're getting, when the light bulb the cliche, the light bulb goes off in their head and they say, oh, I get it. And then boom, they're on. And if another kid doesn't get it, but 
I say, okay, maybe they're not getting it from me, maybe from up here, and then let the other student help. And then they're, oh, some kids, it's quicker, the light bulb goes on, and others, mm-hmm. it takes a little bit longer, but that's everybody, they all have their own pace that they, I kind of work on that level, but not so much. Um, I, I work on, let's go, everybody catch up with me. Well, I'd love for you to do one last thing before we go. Could you please explain the difference between odd numbers and prime numbers? Okay. Well, first of all, I want you to know something funny that I was going through some papers and boxes yesterday and I find a packet of worksheets and which I haven't used in quite a few years and it's prime and composite numbers. But what I think that probably clicked in Danny's head when we teach children prime and composite, all, you tell them that the composite numbers, they're even numbers except for two, because all the other two is prime, but all the other numbers can be divided by two. So, boom, boom, their brain thinks, oh, well, if composite numbers are even, then prime numbers must all be odd. And I say, oh, really? You think so? And then they start going through the numbers, and then they see right away 9, 15, numbers like that that are odd but they're composite because they have multiple factors. So, and it takes them a while to do that and to learn that because right away their brain wants to go, Oh, all prime. Like everything's either a vowel or a consonant. Well, Nope. Everything that's prime is not an odd number because it starts, you know, you start with one, three, five, seven, but boom, right. once you get to nine, once you get to nine, the <laughs> and magic then we do nine. that specific of Aristotle. Anthony's Greek mathematician who a scientist in every, I mean, he, and I even Googled him recently, just, I was curious to know all the different things, but it's up to any number, but for elementary, we would go from one to a hundred and the kids go through it and filter out all the composite numbers. And then what's left are all the prime numbers. So, so I love this. I love, I love, I love the idea of, um, you know, that light bulb going off, in this case for Danny, right, with a complex subject where you think you have an answer, as you, as you mentioned, you know, you're saying, oh, well, the prime numbers are all odd, and then you hit the number nine, and no longer does the decision rule fit, and suddenly you see that distinction, and the light bulb goes off, and that can be a really exciting and motivating thing for students if taught in the right way, and for some students, it's probably, you know, just drudgery, and they don't quite get it, and I love that you are able to teach in a way that sort of allows them to come to that discovery and have that light bulb go off in a way that somebody now remembers decades later. So it's been so wonderful talking with you. Do you have any last things you want to say? Anything you want to say to Danny before we go? I just want to say that I am so proud of him, of his achievements, of his successes, and that I'm thrilled. Like I said, my heart is bursting with pride that I was just a small, small, small part of his wonderful journey and and that's all i could say and and i hope that we can get in touch and and that i wish him success continues success in his in his life all right and i want to thank you for having me on the podcast i appreciate this so much Oh, yeah, sure. So much. I, I'm so glad that you came on. Thank you so, so much. I know it's a really busy time of the year as you prepare for the uh, return to students after summer. And so it's, thank you so much for, for taking this time. I really, really appreciate it.
Thanks so much for listening. I really enjoyed talking to Miss Nancy Jacobs. If you liked today's podcast, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, share it with your friends and colleagues, or contact an important teacher from your past and tell them how much you appreciate them. If you didn't like today's show, well, you might have deeper issues than this podcast can help you with. I'm on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter at That IS Podcast, and Kevin, who will rejoin us on our next episode, is at KMKing underscore psych. All of the comments and opinions expressed during today's show are our own. They are well-reasoned and insightful, and therefore are probably not endorsed by our grant funders or employers or the political leadership of the state of Florida. Thanks for listening. On behalf of Miss Nancy Jacobs, we'll catch you next time. A lot of them I become close with in the class and then I never hear from them again because life moves on.